0: Hi, everyone. Pastor Galen, lead pastor at Cheyenne Hills Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope that these podcasts will be a real encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You can also connect with Cheyenne Hills at CheyenneHills.org. Hope you enjoy the program.
1: We are across the street and around the world. Cheyenne
0: Hills. Well, Kenny, we're back again on a snow day. Boy, it's snowing like crazy outside right now. It's nuts out there. Yeah, and I, and the guy on the phone, you remember yesterday? I said we 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 kicked our game up a, a notch. Yes. Well, we went another notch because now our co- not only do we have a caller, we have a caller from the middle of Africa in Uganda, yeah. <laughs> moving on up. Moving on up. <laughs> <Moving on. laughs> my man. dear friend Francis Yang. Francis, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you, my brother Galen.
0: Oh my great gosh! Great it's to have you. Good to hear your voice, man. Yeah uh thank you you know i gave you just a little brief intro of what we're doing kenny and i have been doing these podcasts i don't know this is number 24 5 or 6 probably and um anyway so just the other day we had a caller call in and we talked to him and recorded it and and it works so i just thought man i'd love to connect with our 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 around the world ministries And, and you are the first around the world ministry at least in my world francis i Back in in seminary, I kind of had this conviction. This was a long time ago, thirty years ago, is to support wow. support nationals. I mean, God kind of laid this on my heart. I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but God kind of laid it on my yeah, heart. Yeah, you told me. Okay, that that to um, you know support find find godly men in their own country and and support them. And so when I came over in two thousand six, great strategy. Wow. Yeah, well, and it's worked yeah. if you find the right guy. You right. know, and Francis has been. You know, gosh, we've been together since oh six. So. Um, so you do you remember when we first met and, and anything about that first meeting, Francis, it was kind of interesting how, how you and I got connected.
1: Wow, uh, thank you very much, my brother, Gail, and uh, this is uh, really interesting. I remember by that time we were all locked up in the camp during the LRA war, and uh, I knew when we get out of the camps we would go back home, and my heart was in planting churches, and by that time Uh, There were no, you know, Americans or Europeans who were allowed to cross into northern Uganda. And when I met you people with uh, uh, Global Refuge, I was wondering how you managed to come across the northern region. And uh, when you joined us and you said you wanted to go and, uh, you know, teach the pastors, I was wondering how you managed that. And I was saying, no, nobody can go with me into the bush because the white men who come here don't want to go into the bush, but you said you are going. Then I knew God had brought you here for a purpose and you were a true pastor. So that's when we started moving on my motorbike and I was saying, what kind of uh, Muzungu is this? Was accepted to maneuver in the bush. So when we went, we met the pastors, the 42 pastors, and uh, for one week we were doing a pastor's training. Yeah. And... Uh, I knew, as I said before, that we would go back in the villages after the war, and these pastors would be able to go and plant new churches. Right. Basically, that's how we met, and that was a, a turnaround in my life because I didn't expect anybody to come and join me because most of the whites who came were stopped in Kampala, and they were being threatened, right. saying the rebels cannot, uh, you know, uh, cannot spare the whites. So when I saw you, I said, surely you are a man of God who has been called because you can be able to come to a war zone. Yeah,
0: and that's how we met. Yeah. You know, I remember when we came up there the first time, how difficult, there's only two ways, that, as I as I remember the story, there's only two ways to get into northern Uganda, and they were both bridges across the Nile River, because the Nile kind of cuts across the upper northern part of Uganda, kind of splits the country in half, and um, and so it was difficult to get across. I mean, we they came through, and they scrutinized, they had, you know, the, the military, they had guns there and everything, and... And the fact that we got through was I thought was pretty amazing, kind of kind of frightening. And then that motorcycle ride, I, I just want you to know I still have probably a disc or two messed up because so you're you're bigger than I you're probably, I don't know, six two, two twenty, something like that. I'm five ten, two hundred. And we mashed yeah. that little motorcycle. I mean, it, that thing was are there. Pictures of that, <laughs> there is, is that, pictures yeah. of it, I think. And maybe we mashed that little thing, and we were like consuming the whole thing. You were kind of the handlebars were right by your <laughs> belly almost, and I was hanging off the back. So, I that was that was an interesting ride. I'm sure we looked like quite a pair cutting through uh, those little roads to get back to that. that yeah, this, right. I think it was a school where we met those pastors, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah, it was a school within the camp. Yeah,
0: well, anyway, so let's fast mm-hmm. forward a lot. So you've you've continued uh, planting churches, and one of, you've done a lot of things, and I'd like to talk about a lot of those things. But one of the things I want to camp on first is the you know the church planting efforts and uh, kind of where where you are today, and then and then I'd like to know you have a unique strategy on how you plant churches uh, in Uganda. So talk about any of those things would be I'd like to hear.
1: Yeah, but I mean, uh, there are different strategies of planting churches, especially when you are, I am rurally based. Most of the time, I go in the rural areas. Uh, when you go to the rural areas, you know there are some people who have just been who are just uh, you know uh, they are secular religious people, and when you go with the gospel of salvation is like a strange thing because the only thing they know is the religion of Anglican and the Catholic, and in some cases, uh, Islam. So when you go with the message of salvation, it's like a new thing to them. And even as the Bible says, the message of salvation uh, of the gospel will always be followed with signs and wonders. So sometimes God performs miracles and people say, surely, this is uh, what we want. And of course, uh, people who live in the disturbed areas, people who live in poverty, people who live in war zones, it's very easy for them to accept, uh, you know, the, the, the message of salvation because they would see that it is the only hope. So when I took that advantage, I said, now, since people have really gone back home, I am going to follow them down and use these other pastors that uh, we are trained. So when we went back, I followed them and they were praying under the trees. And we gathered them, we talked to them, and we started the church. Said, okay, when we started the church under the trees, when you people came in and you saw the people under the trees and started putting the the roof on the structures uh, that they were raising, of course, some of them were mud blocks. So, this alone has really increased the number of Christians in the church. And also, it has enabled me to plant more churches. The roof has been a very good strategy of planting churches wherever we went. So, when they see a church, built in a place, they would ask, how can this happen in this kind of situation? We, all the structures, church structures were burned down. So I I, I see that your help towards us in putting the roofs on the churches was also another strategy of planting churches. Then another way that we were using is to meet the Uh, The social services to the people, for example, if there's no well in an area, then we dig a well. That would be another strategy of planting a church. Many people, including Muslims, would come to the well. And when they come to the well, we instruct and train the pastor to be able to preach to them. Mm -hmm. And when the well is uh, near the church, of course, they will all come to the church. So it has been quite easy for us to plant churches. For example, when I went to southern Sudan, they were in the war. And, uh, you know, when they're in the war, the only hope is God. When you preach to them, they say, at least this is all we need, because they don't see any hope in other places. Mm-hmm. So it, those kind of situations, war situations, poverty, and all those has been a strategy for us to plant churches.
0: Well, and then I just want to add to this. You know, you're you're kind of going around the, the country and in Sudan. The time you were planting churches in Sudan, it was not safe to travel in Sudan at all. And you were up there... Just doing an amazing work. God, God really did open up some doors in Sudan and did some miraculous, amazing stories. Um, I'm going to go back to that that one that you talked about. It was in Iboke. I believe. I'm right about that. Uh, where? Yes. Uh, what was that pastor's name? I, is he still there?
1: Morris. Morris Okello. Okay, Morris still there. Very yes. Strong. Yes. Yeah. Morris.
0: What a great guy. And so, and he was a part of the original 42 <laughs> pastors. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I thought he was. Yes. And so those original 42, what we did is we raised money. uh, This was back in 06, raised money to get two oxen and a plow. And it was $500 for two oxen and a plow. Mm -hmm. And we gave, and we did it in two different years. The first year, half of them got the two oxen and a plow. And the next year, the other half. And what they did, because it was right after the war, they were going back to these villages. They had no way of turning that sod over. And so, so we gave the two oxen plow to the pastor, thinking that could be a tool for him to you know kind of turn over the soil of people's hearts as well right so they would use they would yeah and so so for example uh morris had this he showed us we walked around marched around his garden and his garden was about the size of a maybe a half of a basketball court okay mm-hmm. and then after the oxen and the plow he had a garden he showed us he walked around he was so proud i'm not i've never seen a man so so proud to show here's what let me show you what uh, these oxen, the strength of his ox, has done. And it was probably, I'm just guessing, about the size of a soccer field. Maybe maybe two soccer fields, Francis. Do you recall? It was, yes. it was huge. Yes. Yeah. And so that, yeah. with the proceeds from that, he built, uh, he had built, a instead of a mud hut with thatched roof, well, that was his first church, he built uh, yes. blocks that were, had mortar with them. And then what we would do is come in. That I think this was our first church that we put the metal sheets on it. So the trusses and the sheets. Exactly. If I remember, it's about six thousand dollars for one church, something like that. Do you recall? Yeah. For the most part, it depends on the size of the church. And then, and then, uh, and then they also didn't have water at that place. And they were wow. well, they had water. They had to walk. How how far were they walking, Francis, to get water? Do you recall? at that time
1: yeah they were uh, they they were walking about three four kilometers to get water and moreover dirty water
0: (laughs) yeah and so we we muddy water at that it was it was horrible they picked they'd show the water and it's just mud it was not good so anyway we drilled this well and so this was the first place that we had uh living water you know from the from the ground or we had natural flowing water from the ground and living water uh from the church and side by side and that church, you know, that was one of the real great stories that uh, that I remember seeing and, and I'm so glad to know that Morris is still there pastoring that church.
1: Wow. Yeah, he has planted number of churches. Actually he has gone into a land. Oh no. Uh, after seeing water and uh, yeah, he has planted many more churches also. Wow.
0: Uh, he was he was yeah. a great man. That's awesome. Well tell him tell him hello if you ever see him next time.
1: I will one day when I get him.
0: Yeah. So so we, now there's a, there's great stories. 118 churches now that have been planted that have congregations of of 50 adults up to. How, what's the kind of the biggest church that that one up in? Uh, is it Padere? Is that the, uh, big the biggest
1: church. Cha- uh, no, not Padere. Uh The biggest church right now is one in between um, the Nile and Kampala. That is about 300 to 400 people. That's the biggest church oh, we oh, have, wow. and followed by Patongo. Yeah,
0: At Patongo. Yeah, that's the next one. Well, um, it's an amazing, an amazing story. Uh, God has used you And you. One part that we didn't tell, we didn't talk about at all. Tell us a little bit about your military background because your, your time, um, in the military, you know, you know, how you came to Christ and all, and all that, how God used all those things and, and has now changed you to a a, really an apostle Paul type person to Northern Uganda and, (laughs) and that whole area.
1: Uh, yeah, my background is a kind of nascity, the way I came to know the Lord. Uh, my plan was to be a Catholic priest. That did not work out. <laughs> and when I was coming back from Nairobi, they kidnapped me from the border, and they took me to Northern North Korea, where I was trained as a military man. When I came back, they posted me to the president's office, and I worked in the president's office as the and uh, later on, the government was overthrown. When the government was overthrown, they arrested me and took me to prison. And uh, that's when I gave my life to the Lord on the 7th November 1985. And uh, I stayed in prison for three years. And uh, I thought maybe by giving my life to the Lord, they would release me immediately. But I think the Lord allowed me to stay there to be able to read the Bible, to change my whole my doctrine of Catholic into. Uh, I mean, uh, Pentecostal or Evangelical. And when I was released from prison, that's when I came back and I started, you know, uh, going to a church, being discipled, and later on I went back to the Bible College. And when I went back to the Bible College, long story short, is when I came back and I just entered into the war. And uh, during the war is when I started now going from one place to another to, I mean, from camp to camp to preach to the people and raising leaders. Yeah, that's basically how I
0: give my life to the Lord. And what people can't tell through, maybe they can hear in your voice, but you, you have a military uh, presence about you as well. I mean, you know, there's people that still, it's like they're, they're, they're afraid of Francis, but he was a military man, and so it's like, well, yeah, he's also a military man that knows Jesus. And but you, God's really used <laughs> your, you know, you know, it really, you people were afraid of Paul, right? And it's like, yeah, but here's what yeah, God's here's what that, God's that, done that, in me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, the truth is, uh, uh, many people still fear me, especially if they know this is a man yeah. who has been highly trained and uh, a foreign trained, and he has been in the military for long and very close to the president. They couldn't believe, actually, in Uganda, nobody believes a military man can give his life to the Lord. Yeah. So But that alone has helped me a lot. I don't fear going to where there's war. I don't fear any situation, whether things are hard or bad. If I feel the Lord is calling me, if there are people to be preached to, I don't care about whatever happens to me. And because of that, many times I've been, you know, one time I was shot in DRC. One time I was condemned because I was preaching the barracks and people thought I was uh, causing mutiny. Uh, but still with those, they dumped me in prison. Then they released me. I go to Congo, they shot at me, saying, "I what was I going to do there? So that kind of training has helped me a lot to you know even when I went to to Cairo, they were beating me and torturing me, yep. but in my heart, I knew I had come to preach the gospel. if it is my time to die here, I would die so that training has helped me a lot to reach to, to, to reach places
0: yeah no your your story is is so i 've often said that I think I even told you one time it 's like I hope in heaven that God at least lets me sit where you 're sitting because I know your seat's going to be way closer to the the throne room <laughs> than mine is so. Um, so one of the, one of the things I'd like for you to talk a little bit about too is the school. I think you're actually up in the ho- you're in Aloy right now. If I if I recall, in which your, our your conversation a little bit, tell us a little bit about the school. Yes. Um, we had a we had a plan here at Cheyenne Hills to birth before you build, and every time we've we've built, uh, we've birthed a, a new church. So like Mary Kay and I birthed when we were here as associate pastors, we were the birth. Uh, at at a church in in Colorado before we built here on the campus here at Cheyenne and so we kept that alive when we when we built the sanctuary and we birthed a a school and we sent the money to you um actually you guys had a school built before we even broke ground tell us a little bit about yeah. Hope, Hope Lives Aloy and and where it's at today and and how how you're doing uh
1: well I really want to appreciate the I mean your administration and the entire community of Jain that has contributed towards this uh, school. so during the time of the war, all the infrastructures were you know destroyed, the hospitals were destroyed, the schools were destroyed and for all these twenty plus years, we knew when people came back home, there would be nowhere. We had a missing generation for twenty years that didn't go to school so uh from the time people started returning to 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 their homes from the camp. That was around 2007, 2008. So my wife, Tracy, who is a teacher, we will ride all the way from Malira to Aloy and have what we would call a two-day school. And this two-day school, it was on Saturday and Sunday, where on Saturday we teach the kids, about 600 of them, scriptures, give them porridge. And on Sunday in the morning, uh, we teach them the word and go back from all that time. So it was up on our heart that we one day we would, you know, establish the school. So that's when, when I came there. I told you the story, and uh, thank God that you picked it up, and you came to, uh, you know, help us establish this school. I want to tell you it has changed completely. The community has benefited a lot. Uh, actually, today, this week that we are renovating the school, some of the kids who graduated from our school came back to help in the work. It is amazing. So the school has changed the community. Uh, we now have 600 kids who come to our school. And uh, when we started, we had 324, I think, kids that were being supported by chain And many have graduated, so we have about 200 plus right now. But the school has always been performing 100% in the entire Uganda. So the standard of the school is so good. The community has been changed, and uh, everybody wants to know what we do to, you know, uh, to, to make these kids perform, but we tell them it's just about God. If you want a child to perform well, just teach them the Word of God. The discipline of the Word of God is paramount.
0: It, and that's a it's a beautiful school. You guys have done a fabulous job of building. You just had just built a dining hall, and it's a beautiful facility. In fact, I have not seen that. I'm hoping to come there in October, and I want to see the the dining hall. But wow! Uh, but yeah. Uh, We've we've also we've also been looking down the road of a Votec because these kids get basically we educate you educate the kids up to about what you call P seven which is a basically a sixth grader or seventh grade age in in the states yes. and then and then after that if they can't get into secondary school or if they can't afford it or whatever then uh, you know there, there's a whole bunch of kids that are falling in this gap and mm-hmm. we're hoping the, that uh, we can come and and uh, get we've got pieces. But we haven't got out the whole package put together to put a Votech so that kids can learn how to sew and how to build and how to do plumbing and, and all the things that skills that, that could possibly happen at a Votech So that's coming soon and I I don't know if you've maybe you've moved on that some. Where where's that part of it at?
1: Uh well, right now we are doing the renovation of the school and we want it to, you know, look good and we're putting the terrazzo down. Our prayer has been uh, first of all, we want the uplift school to be self-sustaining uh, so that we don't continue receiving the funds from the U.S. If we are receiving the funds, it should be towards some other project. And uh, this project that we are aiming at is uh, VOTEC, because these kids that graduate from our schools, as you said, they stop at some level because they cannot afford, and they come back home. But if we could get this VOTEC, we have the land there, yeah. and uh, you know the local materials are there, uh, I also have trees in the forest that we that would be easy for us to get the timber. So if we build this vortex, I think uh, the 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 kids that drop out from the school will be able to benefit from that, and the community that has missed uh, the, the formal education will be able to benefit from that by training them on short term courses, and when they come out, they can start a life for themselves.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I want. I'm, I. That's what our hope and our prayer is. And but right now, you know, we're in this uh, we're in quarantine. You're in quarantine. Talk a little bit about what's uh, what's the quarantine look like in, in your your part of the world.
1: Wow, well, this is something very new in everybody's life here. Yeah. No, you know, man is you know, full of moving and getting busy. But this thing, quarantine, is going to change the attitudes of people. It's going to change everything in Uganda because we have never experienced this kind of thing. The quarantine we had was living in the camp, but people could move in yeah. the camp together. And uh, this one here is like uh, my, uh, my, my district in Lira. Just today, they got somebody, and everybody's, like, scared. Everybody's fearing. By six, everybody's in the house. But the major problem right now Uh, The situation got people unaware. Nobody was serious about it. Nobody thought this thing could reach us. And uh, like people were not prepared. So, uh, but with with our teachers and staff, we had just paid them salaries and we told them, you know, this is the situation on the ground. You better prepare yourself. But some other people, you know, did not prepare themselves and they don't have food. The government has not done anything. They are trying to give out food in Kampala, but in the northern region, they cannot reach us. So it is sad to see your neighbor go without food and you have food in the house. The only thing is to share with them. So the situation is not good on the ground at the moment.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: As they talk right now, I'm patrolling the road. It is quiet. You just hear the cricket. It's very quiet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's yeah. crazy. You know, I talked to Subhash not long ago. They're in quarantine. Um, you know, we're locked down here and we have some some people in Greece that you haven't met yet, I hope you get to meet, and they're in quarantine. It's like, yeah. it's just, it's almost surreal to think that there is a, the virus that, that has has locked down the whole world. And, you know, it, yeah. I can't help but think, Francis, God's doing something here. Uh, we talked just a little bit before we went on the air. What do, what do you think God's doing in, in your country?
1: Uh, one, I think uh, me personally, this, uh, this uh, corona is better than the flood. Uh, is better than, uh, it's better than the, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah. But what I feel, uh, the Lord is just preparing us for the last harvest. Mm. The church is going to be stronger than ever. Many people are going to come back to the Lord. The families are being restored. Our children are getting more discipline from their parents. I see a lot of things in, in this place. So I feel the Lord, uh, after this, when we are set free, uh, this is the right time to go and preach the gospel. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, we shall need, uh, you You people, they are doing well. You are okay. But with us here, you can't see anybody. You don't have the TV. You don't have the podcast that you are using. We don't have, you know, you can't preach on a WhatsApp. And mm. this has become a problem. So I think this is something that we have got to look uh, into it in future so that if such things happen, we can be reaching people. Wow. So, yeah, I think the Lord is going to strengthen the church, and uh, people will give their life to the Lord.
0: Yeah. Well, hmm. I I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel like God is is this quarantine is a it's a time of preparation for every time forty. We Kenny and I talked about the number forty yesterday. That the anytime there's forty quarantine means forty, and so in Latin. Yes. And anytime there's a number forty, it was a preparation for something, yeah. you know, something big. God yeah. used forty years yeah. for to prepare Moses. He used uh, forty days, and and Jesus was tempted, and and then right before his ministry is almost a preparation time. And I, I don't know, maybe it's pushing the number too hard, but it's a uh, it's interesting to me to think that this is this, that's what quarantine means. And and I hope, and I'm going to pray with you. We got to close here, Francis. And I thank you so much for taking the call and and spending some time this morning. And uh, it's so more. It's morning mind. here, it's evening over at your, your place, right? It's like, what time, 8 o'clock?
1: About, it's about 8, uh, 8 p.m. here.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> so let me pray yeah. with you real quick, yeah. and then uh, and I'll, I'll let you go. But God bless you, man. Thanks for taking your call. Thank you so much. Father in mind. heaven, I thank you for my brother Francis. I thank you for the provisions that, that they've stored up. And I pray, God, you, you take care of he and his family. I do pray, God, for that openness of the gospel and that when we're we're prepared and that we would go out and preach the gospel with boldness and that we would all be very strong Amen. and courageous. God bless you, brother. Yes. All right.
1: Thanks Amen. so much for Thank you so time. much. All right. I to Ken and everybody love you. Uh, See you in October. Bye-bye. Amen.